The cry we've been considering today is, or in our series, is Give Me Jesus. And I wanted to pick up with that last thought from uh, we had last week from Philippians chapter 2 of Christ's pathway. We talked about how his pathway, you know, at first it descended, and then he was raised up in glory. Um, and let's just read those verses again, if we could. We talked about the kenosis of Christ, his going down, his giving up, so to speak. Um, but in Philippians 2 and verse 7, we'll read these verses again. It says, But he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, the likeness of men, being found as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, and the last step, even the death on the cross. And it was really that last step down that was the key, wasn't it? The cross. That's where he obtained the victory. That's where he conquered sin and death and became the sacrifice for all of us. And so the cross was the final victory whereby he ascended back up into the glories of heaven. And, and not just that, but he led us with him so that we could ascend with him and remain eternally in that glory. At least that's the opportunity he's given us. And so it's really one of the most significant steps we also can take as disciples of Christ is to follow his pathway. You know, and Jesus even told us about this in, uh, in his life and in his ministry. He was talking to his disciples in Matthew 16 and verse 24. And Jesus said unto his disciples, if anyone would come after me, right? And that's kind of like the invitation to all. Jesus would that all would be saved and come unto him. If anyone would come unto him, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life shall lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profit? profited if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Probably wasn't something his disciples were expecting to hear, right? They, they wanted to be the disciple of Jesus, the Messiah. And his message was, well, crucifixion. What is that about, right? That was a terrible way that the Romans were putting criminals to death. But here's Jesus talking about the way of the cross. Come and be my disciples and, oh, by the way, you're going to take up the cross of crucifixion in that pathway. That's probably what not to do to get the crowds. Right? But yet Jesus had crowds anyway because they saw the power that was upon him. But what we... You know, and so to follow Christ and to be one of his disciples, it really involves the way of the cross, which in reality speaks of death. But what we have to understand in, the, in life and in the Christian life is that death, when it's orchestrated by God, brings life. John 12 and verse 24, Truly, truly I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, 
it brings forth much fruit. And so there's this concept that we can never have that abundant fruit in the kingdom of God without that death first happening. Just like you put that seed in the ground, that seed of wheat or barley or any other anything you plant, you know, it's that seed that you're putting, you're burying it, and it's in essence, in essence, it's dying. But in that death, new life springs forth. And and I think that's the the illustration that Christ wants to give to us. And that's really what happened with him. He brought forth an abundance of life for mankind by being upon the cross and in the tomb. That's how he had resurrection life and brought that for us. But to do that, he had to first become the seed planted that sprung forth with life. And, and so there's a work that God wants to do in us, in his disciples. It feels like death because it is death. <laughs> and it's, there's something in us that's dying <laughs> when we deny ourselves. We lay down our lives and take up his cross, but in, in doing so, it allows new life to spring forth. But it's an uncomfortable truth. We, we can be honest with ourselves. It's not, it's not the most comfortable truth to, to listen to in the word of God, or to consider and meditate. You know, the, when Jesus first started to preach about this concept, it was John 6. And that's where people came and they experienced a wonderful touch from God. And, um, you know, it's a long chapter. There's 71 verses. We won't look at them all. We'll just look at a few of them. But they came and they had an experience with Jesus that they, they didn't ex- expect you know, actually, there's really two main experiences. The first one was marvelous in their eyes. It was the feeding of the 5,000. They came and, you know, they were, they were devout. I mean, if someone comes out into the wilderness not having food and they to listen to a message, they're pretty intent on hearing, right? They, they wanted to hear the truth and hear what Jesus had to say. And so they came out there and they must not have brought a packed lunch or anything because Jesus was concerned for them. And, and they went up into the mountains. They heard his teaching and they were hungry. And Jesus saw their hunger and he, so he tested their disciples. Why don't you get some bread for them? And of course, they, they said, where are we going to buy bread for 5,000 people? But the Lord knew. So the young boy had the five loaves and the two fishes and he said, make them sit down and and Jesus just gave thanks to his father for the, for the provision and the multiplication that was going to take place. And, and that thanksgiving multiplied the loaves and the fishes so that they all ate and, and they, had, they were totally filled and there was some left over, you know, more baskets full. It's a wonderful picture of the goodness of God who provides for all those who will seek him. Right? They didn't even accept him. But they sought him, and God blessed them for it. In this experience, it raised their impression of Jesus. You know, before he was a rabbi, a teacher, and they were willing to go out and into the wilderness and hear him. But now they said, this man's a prophet. He can, he can multiply bread. But there's a lesson for that in us as well. Right? Many people come to the Lord for the good experiences but the good experiences alone 
do not reveal the fullness of who Christ is. They didn't recognize him yet as the Messiah. They only knew him as a powerful prophet, a provider of good bread. Um, And don't get me wrong, the Lord wants to be known as our provider. He wants to provide for all of our needs. He wants us to know the goodness of the Lord, the goodness of God in the land of the living. He longs to reveal that. But there was more for that he wanted to reveal to them in this instance, in this chapter anyway. The next part took place the following day. Right? Because Jesus traveled to the other side. And there's a lot to the story. He went up to the mountain and prayed and sent the disciples over. And then he walked on water. And, but they got to the other side. And the people followed him. I don't know if they were looking for breakfast or another lunch you know, that he would provide for them. But Jesus tried to explain to them the limitations of only seeking God for natural blessings. That there's a limitation in that. He wanted to show them greater things than just the miracles of the multiplication. You know, they, and, and so they, they countered with him. They said, well, Moses, he gave us bread. In fact, he gave it to us every day. Are you greater than Moses? Can you do that? If he could do that, they probably would have made him king right then and there. Oh, you can give us bread every day. But, you know, in one sense, Jesus could do better than that. He could give them bread that would last for eternity. In John 6, verse 35, Jesus countered with a powerful truth. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. You know, he was trying to talk to them about how he, as the bread of life, could fulfill that natural hunger and desire in their heart for eternity. And that's what God desires to do in us. But as we read down, there's an even deeper truth that he's trying to show them and what he wants to show to us. John 6, verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Wow. That, that was probably shocking for them to hear. In fact, they said, what is he talking about? Then it goes on, verse 56. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, we can understand this truth of salvation, right? We accept Christ, we accept his sacrifice on us, and we receive eternal life. But, you know, this goes beyond that experience, I think we can understand. It's something that, in fact, we're commanded to remember it. We did this today. We partook of the communion table that represents his flesh and his blood. And we literally ate those things as a reminder of what it is to fulfill in our lives. It's a ritual of remembrance. We eat the bread, we drink the cup to remember the way of Christ so that we can follow him. And, you know, I was kind of quickened with this thought of eating Christ. And I was quickened by a verse in Proverbs 1. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 31. And this is speaking to the wicked. It's in the negative. And the wicked are here in this instance, they're ignoring the voice of wisdom And this is what wisdom says of them. It says, therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. 
and be filled with their own devices. Obviously, speaking in the, from a negative aspect, they eat the fruit of their own way. But Christ is calling us to follow him and eat of him. And when we follow him, he will give us wisdom and understanding and counsel and guidance. And if we receive that and walk in that, we will eat of him. We will eat the good things that he wants to give us in life. We will eat, eat the good fruit that comes from following the Lord Jesus. And so eating his flesh and drinking his blood is not just being obedient, but it's as we walk in that way, we are going to eat of the goodness, of the strength, and of the power of God in our lives. And that's you know, really what this speaks of. It's the way of the cross. Now, of course, people had trouble because they couldn't get past the natural thought of what Christ was sharing. And, and we have this profound verse in John 6, 6, 6. For many, uh, for, it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. That was a hard saying. That was hard to receive. It's hard to understand it, and it's even harder to walk in it. This is a hard thing. Who can receive it? In reality, this is a big part of developing that cry, give me Jesus. Because as we considered, when we're saying give me Jesus, we're saying give me everything about him. Give me his way. Give me the, his pathway and I'll walk in it. Actually, when that becomes our cry, it's a cry for the cross, for the cross to work in us and through us to pick it up and follow him. And after the others left Jesus, he turned to his 12 disciples and he said, well, are you going to leave me too? Now, even the disciples, they've been, I'm sure it doesn't say explicitly, but I'm sure they've been a little shocked at the words that he was speaking to them. Perhaps they had, you know, tripped up a little bit at the stumbling stone of Christ trying to understand what what the Lord was saying but then here comes the cry in the response of Peter that I think is so beautiful in verse in John 6 and verse 68 and Peter answered and said Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life Lord we can't go anywhere else we're just going to have to pick up our cross and take this one and even though we don't understand it we're just going to have to walk in it I can't do anything else. I just have to die. But I'm doing it because it is the way that leads to life. You know, if that is our response in life, we will go far with Christ. That has to be our response. And so the cross of Christ is the way of life. But we also want to understand what it practically means. In, in that, you know, we read earlier in Matthew 16, 24, where Jesus was talking to his disciples and said, if any man uh, will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And the thought of deny himself is, I think, is really the key, one of the keys. There's a denial taking place. There's a withholding from us and, and not, not just us, but the nature that's within us, that nature, the fallen nature we were born with, our flesh. And so the reality is the death 
that has to take place is to the nature of sin within us. Our way of thinking, our desires, and so forth. I read a good quote by John Piper, and he said this about the cross. He said, The cross is not merely a past place of substitution. It's also a present place of daily execution. It's not kind of like the picture you want in your mind when you think about the Bible and the cross, the place of execution. But he, he said it's, it, you know, it's, it's happening within. It's the execution of pride, the execution of boasting in men, the execution of self-reliance, the execution of the love of money and status and the praise of man. It's the death of all of those things that will keep us from following Christ. And so in reality, the cross is actually doing us a favor. All of these things that we struggle with, the cross takes it and they're nailed to the cross as we meet God in each of these situations and we deprive, we deny ourselves. You know, as we do that work of denial, the cross keeps them up, keeps them there so that they no longer have power over us. It's the daily removal of those things that would keep us from life in Christ. But if we allow them to stay in our life, keep us, they will prevent us. We see this illustrated in a young man who came to Jesus, asking him, you know, what do I need to do to have eternal life? We know him as the rich young ruler. And I always like reading it from uh, Mark. Mark 10 kind of gives an interesting viewpoint, and this kind of from Jesus' viewpoint. Mark 10, 21, Jesus looks at this young man and it says, he loved him. So this young man wasn't just like some flippant person saying, hey, can I be your disciple? Not understanding what it meant. Well, he didn't fully understand it. Jesus enlightened him. But, but it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and take up the cross and follow me. There was one thing that had to be done for the cross, the work of the cross in his life. You know, he, he was, it seems like from this verse, there are many areas in his life that were in, in order, in line. You know, he had lived according to the law. He was seeking to follow Christ. That was his desire. But he needed the work of the cross in one thing. There was one thing that was going to keep him back from following God. And of course, we know it was money. And so Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, let the cross work in this area and let it be removed and nailed to the cross. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Fortunately, this young man went away sad because he couldn't do it. He couldn't let it be nailed to the cross. He wasn't willing to give that up and you know, that's a, that's a very sad story. Very sad. But, you know, when you, this still, I think, applies today so much because, you know, you don't have to be rich to love your possessions, do you? Right? You don't have to be the rich young ruler. You can just be 
you know, have a desire for possessions or a desire for those things. And so many people spend their life focusing on just wanting to get it. Maybe they don't even get it, but they'll spend their life focused on getting it. The possibility, holding on to that concept. You know, it's like Paul said to Timothy, it's not money that's the root of all evil, is it? It's the love of money. 1 Timothy 6.10 uh, um, I don't have it up here, but the New King James, it says, it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. All kinds, because that love is not on the cross. That desire is not on the cross. You know, we have to be released from all kinds of things. They have to be put to death. That can only take place through the cross. When we come to Christ, and he touches those things in life through his conviction, through his word. And we lay them down and, it's, and there's an exchange. There's a release that comes as we lay them down. Isaiah 53 shows us a picture of Christ on the cross. And I, I love this description. Well, I, I cringe when I read it, when I see what Christ went through, but yet I love what it means for us of what he accomplished and what he wants to accomplish in us. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He did all that for us, even before we even loved him or wanted to follow him. He did that for us. And he carried all those things that would prevent us from, from following him. He carried and he took them on himself. Our grief, our sorrow. That's, that's good to remember when we are experiencing grief and sorrow is that he already carried it for us. And we can put it upon him because he, He's pretty strong. He can, he can carry it. He took our sins. He was bruised. The bruises of iniquity, when they should have come upon us, they came upon him. He was chastised so we could have peace. He received stripes so that we could be healed. And so the cross, in reality, is, is our salvation. At the salvation experience, but also as we walk with Christ, you know, we can, because we have these difficult experiences, we can have that grief and sorrow. We can struggle with those things in our heart, but yet we can come to the cross and we can find victory. We can find liberty because we can give those things to him. You know, he bore them for us. And so we can roll that burden onto him and be set free. I've often shared the story of Pilgrim's Progress, right? Where he goes through the gate of salvation and he's walking on the pathway and he meets different people and some tempt him to leave the pathway. Other people encourage him. But you know, all that time he's walking with a burden, a heavy backpack on him. And it's just so tiring. Even though he's on the way to the celestial city, it's so tiring carrying that heavy load. You know, representing even as Christians, we can carry the weight 
of our sin and our nature upon us and, and have, wanting to have that dealt with and delivered from strongholds in our life. But at one point in the story, he comes to the hill Calvary and he sees the cross on that hill and he, he goes up the hill. And as he kneels at the cross, that backpack comes off him and rolls away down the hill out of sight. And he's set free. And he walks with a new liberty, a new strength. He's set free to walk on his journey without a heavy burden. And isn't that a wonderful thought? That God desires us to, to run our race without a heavy burden, but to be set free. And that's the effect of the cross of Christ when we kneel down before it and surrender. It causes our heavy burdens to roll away down the hill of Calvary because we can roll them onto him. You know, the Bible speaks about the cumulative experience of being crucified with Christ, but we also realize it's made up of daily experiences. Like Paul said, I die daily. Every day we pick up our cross to follow Jesus. And, and so the real life in Christ is as we take up our cross each day, that that's what releases power to follow him. I just want to close with a story from a book. One of my favorite books, our favorite books, is Reese Howell's Intercessor. And he tells the story of a man named uh, Maurice Rubin. And Rubin was a part owner of one of the largest department stores in, in Pittsburgh. And Rubin had a customer that every day he came in, he was happy. And that did something in Rubin. He's like, why is this guy so happy? And finally, one day, he said to his, this customer, he said, you must have been born happy. And he replied, oh, no, I was just like you at one point. But then at my second birth, I received Christ and I received the joy of following him. And that affected him. He wanted to know what that was. So he bought a New Testament and read that. And, you know, he, he came to know Christ and received that joy. Well, the story doesn't end there because that's when the real challenge took place in his life because uh, this man came from a, Jew, a very strong Jewish family. And so to acknowledge Christ meant he would be separated from his family, um, but he did it anyway. He testified of Jesus. And, and, and in fact, his family tried to pay him off because of, you know, he was quite wealthy because they uh, owned that, the department store there. So they, they wanted to pay him money if he would move across the country and, you know, not stir the pot, so to speak. But he said, no, he replied, I have, I, I have been given the light in Pittsburgh. So I'm going to share the light in Pittsburgh. Well, later that night, the police came and they took him to the station. And then after talking to him, they committed him to an asylum. And the doctor said he was committed because he heard voices. That was the reason anyway. Uh, speaking of his relationship with Christ. And this experience was almost too much for him to bear. I mean, he was kind of a new, newish believer. And here he was in an asylum and the people around him really were crazy, you know? And so here he was stuck there. And so, but as he knelt beside his bed in the asylum and he, he was looking to Christ, he said he had a vision. And in the vision, he saw Calvary. And he said he saw every stage of the crucifixion. And 
as he saw that, he saw Christ look at him and, and say these words. He said, must I bear the cross alone and all the world go free? And Reuben responded, no, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. And as he said that, he said from that moment on, he was a new man because he had met Jesus at the cross. And he was newly empowered to trust God and to follow Christ. And, you know, he, st- he held on to Christ in that time. And it was a certain amount of time that he had to stay there in the asylum. But after a while, his friends, his, he had Christian friends that found out and they made a case to bring him out. And it came to court and uh, came to trial. And the judge was asking the doctor why he'd been committed. And the doctor said, uh, well, he said he heard a voice. And the judge thought, well, wait, didn't the Apostle Paul hear a voice on the Damascus Road? The judge was a Christian. And he threw the case out. And it, the, the judge actually said, this is a disgrace to the American flag that someone would be committed this way. Um, and he, he advised Reuben to prosecute everyone involved. And Reuben said, I could, I could never prosecute anyone for this, but I will pray for them. And so he became, the Reuben became a man devoted to the ministry of Christ. He lived by faith in Pittsburgh. And um, even though he was separated from his family, even his wife for a time, but she eventually, you know, she saw his faithfulness, came and joined him in the ministry. But it was as she saw his life that had been affected by the cross. Reese Howells, as he was writing this book, he was talking about how he knew the scriptures and he, and he followed what they said and he thought generally he was a good person, but he knew he, he had not surrendered yet to Christ. And he said he had, there are times he spoke to the Lord and he said, Lord, if I ever see someone who genuinely lives the Sermon on the Mount, I'll surrender. I'll give in. And so he was at a meeting and he saw Reuben sharing this testimony and, and he said the Lord spoke to his heart. Will this man do? <laughs> and and he accepted and Reese Howells accepted Christ because of what he saw in Reuben. God mightily used him. But with Reuben, the power came as he experienced the cross in his life. He came to a realization of what Christ had done for him, but also how the cross had empowered him to follow, follow the Lord. He was set free to follow Christ. And, you know, while there is a price to pay for, you know, Reuben, in that sense, to be a disciple of Christ, and there's a price for us, it won't necessarily be the same. Thankfully, we won't be committed to an asylum. (laughs) But, you know, Reuben understood there's a cross for everyone. There's a cross for me. And as we pick it up and follow Christ on his pathway, right, on the same pathway that he walked on. That's what it entails. Taking up our cross daily and following him. It involves a denial of denying, you know, not just everything about ourselves, but denying that nature within us. Denying what will keep us from following in the pathway of Christ. We see the story from Scripture, from Pilgrim's Progress, from Reuben, It's not easy. At times it's full of struggles, but yet as we surrender to that and they're put on the cross, we're set free. We're empowered. It bring there's there's an exchange where we roll our burdens onto Christ and we receive his new life. 
to walk with Him. And then the cry of our life truly can become, give me Jesus. Father, we thank You for giving Your Son to die on the cross for us and how You're giving us that invitation as well to be disciples of Jesus. Lord, we recognize that a part of that call is to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, to die to ourselves, and to live for you. And Lord, we just confess our weakness, Lord, that at times we're weak and, and we don't do those things. But Lord, we come to you and Lord, we cry out for that grace and mercy that you would make us, Lord, those disciples that would take up their cross daily and follow you. Oh Lord, help us each day to do that. Let that be the cry of our heart. Oh, bring us to that place of humility and, and strength, oh God, that we would receive you and follow you. Oh, do that wonderful work in us, Lord. Remove those things from our lives that would keep us from walking in your pathway of victory, we ask. And give us your new life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.